0: For me, it's about awareness, attention, and, like, the intent behind why I'm doing what I'm doing. And that comes in a lot of different ways. Like, for me, it comes from, I don't know, sometimes you'll, like, go throughout your daily life, wake up, and you're, like, oh, I'm just, like, going through the motions. I'm asleep. I'm asleep. I'm sleepwalking, right? Um, And just, like, being aware of, like, like you were saying, walking out on the porch, having sun beam onto your back and being, like, oh, this is really nice. This is really intense.
1: But... Hello, I'm Craig Constantine. Welcome to the Movers Mindset Podcast, where I interview movement enthusiasts to find out who they are, what they do, and why they do it. This is episode number 79, Brian Riggins, Awareness, Process, and Books. In this episode, Brian Riggins discusses his motivation, goals, and process of training to sense, and his experiences in relationship with fear. He shares how it relates to his love of coaching children and the challenges he personally works on. Brian unpacks his reasons for training parkour before delving into the many books that have influenced him and what is on his reading list today. Hello, I'm Craig Constantine. Hi, and I'm Brian Riggins. Brian Riggins lives and breathes parkour. Largely self-taught, he began training in 2008 and has become a coach at both Parkour Visions and Kong Academy and an athlete with Atlas Parkour. Brian shares his passion for parkour through his coaching, as well as his videos and photography. Welcome, Brian. Thanks. Hi. (laughs) I don't really consider myself a parkour athlete. I mean, technically, I do parkour, therefore, that makes me an athlete. But I don't come at my training, and I do consider myself someone who trains intentionally, but I don't come at my training from the mindset of an athlete. And I'm fascinated by people who, I'm going to say, manage to stay so focused that they can continuously push themselves that way. I mean, I push myself in lots of ways, but to me, parkour, for me, parkour is like entirely a restorative practice because I, have, I guess the luxury, maybe from your point of view, the luxury of not having to, you know, like there's physical, I was going to say bars I have to clear in a minute, like as a level of a capability, <laughs> not as a, but it's like a pun. Anyway. So I am not have to push myself to those concrete goals. So I'm wondering as an athlete, how do you find the... Strength, the, the the motivation to continuously push yourself toward goals? I rely on
0: like a lot of systems. So I will like come up with a concept or an idea of something I want to work on. For example, during Descents, I just like mapped out in a Google doc. I was like, okay, these are the things that I want to work on. So I created a Google doc with like all the locations, all the different things I had in mind. And that's kind of like one way that motivates me. So like building a system and then breaking that system down, or kind of building out a plan and then piecing or eating at those little pieces of that plan, or chipping away, and then sometimes I'm just motivated by an idea or a concept. That's, That's usually simple. how we start.
1: Yeah, it's pretty simple. So today in Seattle, it is apparently ridiculously gorgeous. I mean, it's this this is amazing. This is gorgeous. Like, I mean, blue skies and. I haven't seen many clouds yet, but one of them has to drift by at some point, and there are trees outside the window, and it's just beautiful. And everybody keeps saying, like, what's with this weather? Because apparently I heard Seattle's rainy and dreary. I'm not seeing it.
0: Usually it's, like,
1: in the high 40s,
0: low 50s, and it's raining all day.
1: Mm. I think maybe I'm, maybe I'm like a minor <laughs> weather god, and the sun just wants to make me happy. <laughs> yeah. and you know, okay, so confirmation bias. I walked out on the patio <laughs> this morning. And the, the, the deck was like wet with do its wood. I walked out across the patio. This is a rented place, not my house. I walked across and when I got to the banister at the edge, the top of my head got just out of the shadow from the roof. So the sun's coming up on the other side of the building. So it's like I walked out to the edge and like the sun hit me in the back of the head and it was warm and I immediately turned around and all I got was on purpose, this beautiful face full of sun, which I stood in for like three minutes. There's a neighbor across the street making bacon. She must've been looking at me like, who's the whack job on the <laughs> third floor? And I stood there just facing the sun and now having, and then I eventually I came back in because I'm not still standing there. But I'm just thinking, you know, that like, Is confirmation bias like I walked out there and the sun quick like if I had been 10 minutes sooner my head would have come into the sun halfway across the deck or 10 minutes earlier I wouldn't have been in the sun at all but it was like I walked out and my head's in the sun sorry my head, in the sun so if it's 40 and dreary Brian I'm not convinced that a Google doc and a system (laughs) is enough to get I'm going to say the average normal person like maybe you're superhuman this way but how do you get, like, so if you're planning a descent and you've been working on this thing for 15 days, how do you get out the door on day 16? Is it like you literally have it planned out day by day and I'm not, it's like the whole thing about don't skip a day or like, how do you keep going at it in the 40 degree dreary? Um, it's a good question. You have to wait
0: for the rain to stop. <laughs> <It's> the big, <laughs> that's the, the short answer. But so there's one descent that's like kind of a few blocks up from here that mm-hmm. I trained for like six months straight. I started in November. And then finished it in March, roughly the timeline. There's like online, there's a video that I recently posted of the process behind that one. Is that one.
1: the one with the, the blue things off to the side? So and there's like a... There's oh, like not a parking- the circle one. No, okay. that's
0: that's a different one. Three, that's sorry. That's over in SPU that's like in Fremont area, kind of like near the old Parker Revisions headquarters. Okay. Um, this one's just like right up the road. It's just these like silver rails. It's four stories. Mm-hmm. I do like a drop pre to one and then that's the final like drone shot. It's in the unfolding video. Um, but... That one took like, yeah, four or six months to kind of break down. So it was like the initial process of just getting the technique down and then breaking through the technique and going into <clears throat> doing like double hand drop to feet, single hand drop to one hand, and then doing the full thing from the drop precision. Mm-hmm. Um, and I broke that down into like four pieces. Yeah. And it was like four, six months, but basically part of it was battling the rain. Part of it was just getting comfortable with dropping down the side of the building. You know, it's like, I kind of just, my whole, so the the video itself, the unfolding video, was mm-hmm. specifically tailored to all these different descents that I had in mind and building, like, a map out of them. Um, but the actual, that descent itself, there were times where it was just completely raining and I had no ability to do the actual descent. So I had to, like, go to UW University of Washington and just train inside for in the garages for days mm. until there was like dry enough weather and predominantly that one I just kind of did on my own I didn't do nobody else, nobody training, else training with me just totally by myself Yeah,
1: because yeah. that made me think like one of the things I read was you had said that sometimes you train um, a lot of people call it in parallel because other people training nearby but we're doing different things but you can still get energy from those people and I, I was going to say where you're training in parallel but training alone I'm wondering if maybe the Seattle weather is partly motivating you because you know that like it's raining, it's raining, it's raining. Like here comes the sun. I'm going now, and like you've you've built up some uh, potential like to launch into the training. I I don't know if you have ever thought about that. Have you ever tried to train the way that you train here? Have you ever tried that for a a prolonged period somewhere else, like maybe San Diego? Like would it work when it's always sunny? I think it would work,
0: but it would be a totally different process. I mean, I think still here that that response to my question is totally accurate is when it is sunny and when it is the weather's like ideal it definitely is the catalyst and a motivator to get you to go and do that specific movement that you want to work on or a specific line or what have you so i went to texas winter jam last year or i guess this year so to speak oh it, it well is, put yes yeah. january
1: because because <laughs> you said last year my brain rewinded and went is that the year that i went like but no i'm <laughs> sorry i didn't go this year yeah it was this year
0: but I trained pretty heavily for three days and it was totally not sustainable. I was like tired and exhausted mm. four days afterwards. So it definitely is part of the weather is when it's super, super rainy and you have the opportunity to go outside and jump around something or train a specific movement, it's it becomes more of like okay, I gotta Batteries, go there and do it. Battery's yeah.
1: Full. Yeah. 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 Rubber band is completely wound up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally. <laughs> um do you um how, what do you do after you've practiced? And I, I don't mean in terms of physical recovery. I mean, do you do you take time to uh, mentally go over what you've did, what you've done? Do you journal about it? Do you write it down? Or do you do like this? I, I stopped it up and then I wring the sponge out and I go on. I don't do the latter at all.
0: Okay. I, do, I don't like that process at all. Um, I So I do meditation. I try to meditate at least three to four days a week for 15 to 20 minutes, depending on like I'll just like set a timer, meditate 15 to 20 minutes. Sometimes I'll do visualization drills. I also float. So I like, I'm in partnership with a float company in town. So once a week I'll go there. And I'll just like, if I have a project in mind, I'll detail, like take photos of the project, go and float, think about each piece of that process, how I'm going to break it down, the way that I'm going to do it. So I just try to use both the visual of, the location mm-hmm. and creating the steps in my mind to be able to overcome those challenges. But yeah, also like I haven't really been practicing to lately. I haven't been in the mindset or in the headspace to be at height recently. So I've been doing a lot more like mellow on the ground challenges because it requires a lot of like, you know, you have a tank for your energy level and then you have a tank for your mental level and you can hit capacity at your physical level And sometimes you haven't even hit that mental piece. And I think descents are kind of the opposite, where it's like high mental, lower physical, Mm because the process is really repetitive, especially if you just go down on the staircase. If you're eight stories up, the mental process is a lot harder
1: than in the physical, right? It's like the consequences are a lot (laughs) better. Just one drop precision. (laughs) Yeah. This one has to be right. Yeah. The eighth one Mm -hmm. would just be embarrassing to like screw up after the seven, but yes. I have to say, I've been doing parkour for seven years or so, and I thought I had gotten over the visceral the visceral re- reaction to seeing other people doing stuff. Descents, that still gets me. I, like, yeah. I see a descent and I'm just like, oh, sweaty palms. Like, there's just something. Well, it's it's not just something. I know exactly what it is. It's the innate monkey brain fear of falling out of the tree that when you see another no monkey falling on purpose. Your brain just goes like that is not cool. So there's a whole. I, I always feel that here's my metaphor for these interviews you and I are walking down the street and we're having a conversation, and there's side streets, and we're talking, and like we could turn off onto any side street. So, like, here comes the fear side street. And so, I'm just wondering if you have any. Um, takeaways or things that have clicked for you after having exposed yourself to, and fear might not be the right word, but like major stress bordering on fear, like the, the first of the eight steps down the descent. Uh, you've been at that place of fear and height so many times, not just on descents outdoors. Is there anything you've taken away from that like that you can point to specifically? Can you be more specific? <laughs> well played. Um, so what I'm looking for is If somebody says, like if I say, I QM'd across the Williamsburg Bridge, it was two or three kilometers, I could tell you exactly what I learned from that. And it's not, this is a story. But if you say, I've done all these descents and I've worked with fear and you've developed tools for dealing with the fear or dealing with the stress, that's one thing. But then to say, I went and did an ayahuasca journey and here's what I learned about myself from it. So I'm wondering if managing the fear and the stress, I'm thinking that's one thing you've pretty much mastered. But then have you learned, well, basically, you just made a face like, I'm not so sure about that. I'm like, I'm pretty sure, I'm I'm nodding, I'm pretty sure about that. But I'm wondering if that has taught you anything about yourself that you can verbalize, that you can um, vocalize or.
0: There's a ton of things. I mean, I think that fear has a place always. I think that if people think that it doesn't exist or that they don't have it, they're lying to themselves. Like I still have it even with the sense that I've done, like all, there's a specific one at UW that's like the spiral staircase. I will go there like maybe every other month and just try it again, just to see if it still stimulates some sort of fear in me. Um, and I was there last week and I was like a little tired and not like super energized. Wasn't feeling like mentally ready to try it, but I just was like looking at the top. There's like a, this cat drop you can like hang. So the spiral staircase goes up there's a like flat cement wall and you can kind of like hang in a cat position mm-hmm. and then jump sideways and hit your feet and then drop to a cat and then do the descent. And I just only felt comfortable doing the like cat drop and just preying the top rail. And I was like, not, I felt afraid. I felt totally scared. And I think that like, there's a lot of different lessons, especially with fear. I think you can think more about, I think what happens is when people are up at height and they're like analyzing challenge or they're like looking at what they can do and how they can overcome it the fear that's involved in it they kind of get lost in all the background noise um, and i was talking to tim burton about this he's from texas he if
1: you're familiar with tim burton i um, mean i'm familiar with the others t- right because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Which laughs> i, I just i just went. <laughs> wait tim burton does the sense like, oh my god <laughs> that guy's pretty cool sorry um, talking to tim burton in texas <laughs> Yeah, we were just talking about
0: like how you can use... You need to kind of like let go of the background noise, especially when you're at height. You have this kind of like being more present and in the moment. I think that's, for me, that's why I like meditate. That's why I float, is that it helps me just let all of the other things that are happening, like the external Boy. thoughts or... Like I've done a challenge recently where I was doing a plyo at height and I couldn't do it from the very center. It's just like these beams that are suspended up in the air. And... I just like didn't feel comfortable because I there was I was thinking about like the next thing I had to do in the day. I was thinking about maybe slipping, how dusty it was. And like part of that is like understanding how to be in the present moment versus being in the, like the next thing that's going to happen or maybe something in the past. Or... And I think that like when you train challenges at height and when you train fear challenges, you're kind of dealing with like a whole catalog or list of different challenges you've done in the past that'll kind of like come up and i think those same type of challenges that you have in your everyday life where you're like oh i i have this narrative about how i want to do this one thing and then i have all these other experiences that come up that reinforce that narrative right so i think that that's that's like one part of
1: that but are you able to point to a reason or several reasons about why you keep going after this fear? And and maybe my first question should be, is that the right way to categorize what you're actually going after here? Because I think, I'm going to say that I think I understand why you're doing it, and I, my, I'm my i not sitting here quietly going, you're crazy, you need to stop. That's not what I'm thinking. I'm like, I understand what you're doing, and to me it, it makes sense, but I'm trying to figure out if we can articulate to people. So if somebody's listening, like my mom, going, what are you doing? You're going to fall and die, and how do you rationalize that? And that's not what I'm thinking, but I believe there'd be a lot of people who would see one of those descent videos and they think that. And clearly, they don't, obviously don't understand the way that the risk is mitigated, the number, you know, all the workers do and the capability and things like that. And I've talked to Alex Honold, and, and like he talks about there, there isn't fear there. Like, he's like, I don't do the climb unless I know that I can do the climb. And the challenge is doing the whole thing strung together, not, Oh, I hope I can manage to pull this one particular crux part of it. And I'm just wondering, like, I know that you're aware of the danger, but how, what is it that makes you say, okay, I'm willing to go in that direction over and over and over. And what, like, what, I don't want to say you're chasing something, but what is it that draws you to go and tackle those challenges? That's a lot of different things.
0: Yes. I like, I like this question a lot. So I wouldn't also,
1: I wouldn't call it fear necessarily. Yes. I, um, it's not the right word. And I'm part of what I want to know is it, like, how do you uh, visualize or think about what are you actually pursuing? So for me,
0: and this is kind of like across the board for like the way that I train is that I have a concept. I'm interested in trying something. It's more like challenge finding.
1: Mm.
0: It's part of it is about how can I be composed in the moment? Like how composed can I be at that, that height? Am I able to do that? Mm. (laughs) And I really, and I think similar to like what you're saying about Alex Honnold is I'm like actually very interested in, I don't want to die. (laughs) No, no one, no one really wants to die. I mean, obviously there's, there's the case out there, but like, I think part of it is, is taking the time to like understand that I'm capable of doing this, maybe descent or maybe this challenge at height and, and really slowly incrementing it. I think that's like, especially when I see newer students or like maybe older practitioners who've been training for a long time, and they're like interested in in fear challenges. They'll like have it. They'll be like, "Okay, I'm going to try this one challenge," and then they like get up at height, and then their brain just starts to like, <laughs> yeah, it starts to just melt down.
1: <laughs> how do I know to make the right sound?
0: Yeah, because i like, been there, right? <laughs> yeah. But it, for me, it's about composure. It's like, how can I get into this space? How can I look at this challenge at height that I know I'm capable of doing, break it down into like bite-sized pieces and then overcome that like fear that comes up. Mm. And maybe it's not fear, but it's like knowing for myself and to myself that I can do this challenge. um, And that there are things that people are capable of doing and that they can do them. You know, mm. for me, it's like about how can I inspire? And this is the thing that's kind of scary. I think with social media, I have a lot of like, I have a lot of qualms about social media. I really don't like it, but it's like a tool for people to kind of like, interact with each other and get to know each other and meet each other and
1: we need to communicate. Yeah. And that seems to be where we're, re, where we're going at the moment is through those mediums. But
0: yeah. And I think that there's like, and that's why I've like tried to take time to look at the process behind a sense, And I've been trying to be more open and vocal about it. So like, there's like younger generation of kids that I know and trying to be like, okay, yeah, this is like a serious thing. You're making this decision, but like, how do you make this decision in a way that's thoughtful and not about this like clickbaity thing mm-hmm. or like gaining right. likes right. or, and I do have like issues with people posting those things and not talking about them. Like there was recent, like, I think it was like mid last year, there was a kid who was trying some descent at height and like a rail broke and yeah, I, don't, I, I don't remember where it was from. I forget from, what and, he was
1: doing. I mean, I've, I've heard cases of people who weren't doing descents intentionally, but where things, you know, things collapse or fail and yeah. So one of the <laughs> so he's looking at me because I just have this strange look on my face and what it is is me trying to compose a grammatical question from the <laughs> wacky idea that's that are running through my head. And what I was thinking was you so the seed of it is this. You said that you were interested in seeing if you could be composed in that situation, in like one of these situations, for example. And I'm wondering if if that's that was like one thing that you clearly identified and is there anything else like do you feel that maybe you aren't no, i'm not sure what words are in your mouth but do you feel that maybe you aren't composed sometimes when you wish you were composed just like having a cup of coffee across the street and you're like well deep down you're being called to work on being more composed and then the best tool for that is or really good tool for that is to do descents and other challenges like is that is that something that you're intentionally pursuing or is that something that you've discovered you were pursuing after you started doing it all it's the latter for sure.
0: I've discovered it more so from doing it. Like I feel like most people when they meet me, they're like, oh, you're just really stoic and calm and you don't have much to say or quiet, etc." And I think in training descents or training things at height that I've found that that's something you can tap into is like an, em- an element of feeling composed, an element of being aware. Mm. Like I'm really, there's a book that I read quite a while ago because I was thinking about doing a discussion art retreat or just a quick spark. Conversation about fear and and height challenges, mm-hmm. um, and the book's called *The Rock Warrior's Way* by Arno Ilner. He's like a, an old trad climber, sport climber, and he has just this whole process about like awareness, attention, and intention. And I think those are like three <laughs> things that I've started to kind of like articulate in my own training is not only feeling composed, but also like being aware and being present. When training a challenge and what's the intent behind that challenge like is your intent to prove to yourself that you can do something is your intent to you know capture a social object capture, for sharing yeah. right? and but it's like I think there's there's a lot of different things and a lot of different reasons why people do those types of things like now presently it's like I feel like parkour in 2008 was just this like weird subcultural niche thing that people did mm. and then it started to kind of like gain more buzz and right. more people noticed it so there's like, obviously people have these different intents on one end and other people on the other end, but that's, it's, for me, it's about awareness, attention, and like the intent behind why I'm doing what I'm doing. And that comes in a lot of different ways. Like for me, it comes from, I don't know, sometimes you'll like go throughout your daily life, wake up and you're like, oh, I'm just like going through the motions. I'm asleep. Right? I'm asleep. I'm sleepwalking. Right. And just like being aware of like, like you were saying, walking out on the porch, having sun beam onto your back and being like, oh, this is really. It's really intense, but um,
1: I don't know. That's kind of a long winded. No, I, I would say, I don't know. I'd say it's excellent. I'm wondering if. So let's get Let's get. Join me on my ageist soapbox, fellow non 20. <laughs> Recently. <laughs> yeah, but still. I'm, I'm What I'm thinking is, it seems to me. All right, so I think you have a very considered. So what you're presenting is a very considered position. Um, you've obviously put a lot of thought into it and you've put a lot of work into it and then a lot more thought into it. You've like gone around um, investigating this, these topics and these ideas on your own. And I'm wondering, do you think that it's possible for somebody who's 15 to be able to do what you do? And I don't, I don't mean the, the physiology and the geometry of the descent. I mean to be able to do the practice that you are doing, which is manifesting itself as descents and challenges at height, but that's not actually what you're practicing. Do you think someone who just to be ages 15 could actually do that? That's a hard question to answer. Yeah. But what do you think? I mean, you can also claim mulligan and move on. You don't have, this isn't an inquisition. <laughs> I mean, I think it's possible for someone who's 15 to be able to do those things, but I think
0: it's like you're young, <laughs> your brain's not fully developed. You like don't have the same awareness or life experience or, like understanding of like why maybe you're doing what you're doing and you're influenced by a subculture that is totally
1: certainly the average of the
0: 15s, <laughs> yeah, yeah. right? So if, yeah. we're,
1: if we're saying an exceptional individual could do this, which I would certainly grant you, an exceptional individual could do that, but I think everyone can do it. <laughs> The thing. But, but, everyone yeah. can oh, to a oh, degree right, okay. right. Like, if we could fix this, oh, well now if we 're going to pipe dream, if we could fix society everybody who 's fifteen maybe that 's one of the rites of passage that 's missing, and now maybe we 're not literally everybody who 's fifteen has to go do the descent off this parking deck or you 're out, but there may be an element well i know there is an element of the I know I have the idea in my head, but I can't find the words. The rite of passage. There, there may be that there's an element of rite of passage missing in our society. And if we had that still, then maybe the 15 year olds would be able to do this. The The reason that I'm at this, this is a very strange question, right? That I'm asking you. Um, the reason I'm asking you, I don't ask everybody that question, is that you have a clear, I'm going to say, love, a passion for teaching children. So, I'm wondering and what I'm fishing for is some insights because I don't teach. I don't teach parkour. I don't teach anything anymore. And I particularly don't teach children. Not that there's any reason for it, but it's just my focus is on asking questions and conversation and discourse and discussion. And I'm wondering if there's any insights that you can draw from when you look at the children that you have the opportunity to teach and you you assess them and you can certainly see what they need to be working on. And I'm going to guess that You know, you don't pull eight-year-olds out and say, you need to work on descents. Well, I'm going to guess that you're, (laughs) I'm I'm making a joke (laughs) of it, right? But like, there's clearly a progression that we could describe as an average. And I'm just wondering if you can, if there's anything that you can pick out of that, because you've got this really unique, all right. People are unique, and what makes them unique is the multiple, the mastery in multiple disciplines. Mm-hmm. So, one of the things that I think makes you unique is the mastery in—I was going to say dealing with children, but I don't mean that negatively. Dealing with children and dealing with heights and challenge and and fear. But we both agree that's not the right word. That that's those are two very the combination of those two is a very rare person. And I think like what I'm looking for is any place where I can find something that you want to share that really draws from the perspective you get from those two strengths so i'm also notorious for asking long-winded things that aren't questions but <laughs> no, <laughs> what it springs to mind when i start to try to draw a line between what does brian see based on all of your experience at height and all of your experience and passion for teaching kids i think it goes back to the awareness question
0: is that i see a lot of kids like when i teach them they'll get totally overwhelmed by some parkour movement that seems like fairly simplistic to us, you know, because we practice it whatever amount of times and giving them tools to become more aware, which is like telling them to stop, mm. think about what they're doing and then make a decision to either do the thing that they want to do or attempt that parkour move and giving them like breathing breathing practices too. Like one thing that I do, especially when I see a kid who's just like... Yeah. Like just wobbling <laughs> and getting crazy. Yeah. It's yeah. no. <laughs> to <Yeah. laughs> so just like sit down and, or not even sit down, but like stop where they're at, close their eyes and just go. Right. Breathe in and then breathe out and then just go and do it. And usually like 90% out of 90% of the time, a kid will just commit to that movement. If they just like stop, breathe and then think about it, visualize it and then make it happen. Hmm. That's like one thing that I think is really valuable at training at height is being able to have like repeatable processes that I can give to other people. Especially kids who are just like nowadays who are like on their phones all the time and their brains are just going like, like to each subject and I'm just like
1: Squirrel. Yeah,
0: exactly. And I'm like, You're in line, waiting for another kid to go. Just like sit, hang out, like and um I think also dealing dealing with kids who kind of are on the spectrum is like pretty amazing. I've been able to like give them really valuable tools to be like, okay, here's how the like, when the world comes at you. Yeah. It's like, and, and being able to like give them conversational tools as well as like, why are you feeling the way that you're feeling? It's like really accessing, like for me again, like back to the descent thing and and thinking about kids is, is analyzing what's going on inside and like how you're feeling and why you feel that way. Cause really when you're doing a descent and you're, you're doing some sort of high challenge, all you really have is just like internally you're fighting like your own self or your own ego. And I often see that with kids like in a parkour class who are like, I'm really defeated about this challenge. I can't do it. And I'm like, well, you can't do it today. You'll be able to do it down down in the future, right? Or down the road. But like, think about what you did today and like how amazing that was. Yeah. Um, yesterday and yeah, the day before. And the day before. And it's weird and it's kind of like simplistic, but it it's... It's one of those things that I feel feel like in classes and in training, people often neglect. Is when they're when tra- they're training and how they're training is sometimes just like them battling themselves and their own ego. Like at the end of the day, you're like, oh, I, I really can't get this jump, and it's like you don't. Who just, are you proving that yeah, to? You know, jump, it's just right? a jump. Like at the end of the day, and being able to give kids that kind of tool, just to like be more aware of their emotions and more aware of their like breathing patterns and their social relationships, is really important especially in classes where like kids start to like get to know each other more and they start to like kind of develop these like emotional relationships and, and being able to like kind of like cut out the things that are causing them to feel a certain way of feeling agitated or angry or upset and like giving them communication tools to be, be able to like overcome those types of challenges right i
1: was gonna say you imp- yeah uh, give them conversation tools to make them empowered right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. your sentence was just yeah. fine yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but yeah that's i mean th- 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 those are the two like mirroring things Is like mm-hmm. high challenges and sense and like being able to give kids these different tools mm-hmm. and like at the end of the day like i teach a teens team with parkour visions and all those kids are like it's crazy to see just like the amount of like power and strength that they have and like how they've just increased in skill level. Just like, I will give that, I'll be like, oh, this challenge is possible. And then I'll like show them like the medium version of the challenge, not the super hard version. And they'll be like, oh, okay, that seems like it's possible. And then they'll do the hard challenge. And I'm like, you guys are totally capable of doing this. Right. And it's all a matter of like what you believe and what you think mm-hmm. at the end of the day. But yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think it's clear that you have an ability or a skill, which you've developed with this work at height and at challenges. And it's not fear, but something like that. And you've also demonstrated just in talking today that that enables you to teach children, to teach them in a certain way, to teach them certain lessons, to teach them like certain life lessons. And it's obvious that that hasn't always been the case because everybody's born at some point. And what I want to know is where specifically did you get that lesson from? Was it when you did your first descent was it when you did your first sketchy bar precision? Like there's different ways to approach this practice that you have today. It starts mm-hmm. out very small as a simple idea. And I'm trying to go back. And the real reason I want to go back and ask you is because that would be a terrific place for other people to enter into the same journey that you've entered in. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a question searching for the beginning of your, this current journey. There's like a couple,
0: there's one example that I have in mind that the old Nickerson Street gym. Uh, so I was going through the apprentice program with Parkour Vision. So there's like this, uh, it's a long program. It's like a 12 week program. It's really awesome um, when it was functioning at the time. And I was basically being taught under Brandy how to coach and different movement progressions. And I was shadowing some kids' classes. I was shadowing adult classes. And then I eventually started teaching some of those kids' classes and adult classes. But when I was training in Parkour Visions, there was... Just, like all these different challenges that I just was able to kind of like accelerate it at on the ground. Kind of like through, I was saying before just creating like a, a Google doc and hacking away at all those little lists of challenges and being like, okay, I've done this thing, I've done this thing, I've done this thing. And then one day I just like, was like, Hey, Brandy, what do you think is something I should work on? She was like, you should start working at challenges at high, like bar challenges and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that was like kind of the turning point for me was like, oh, okay, there's something here that I can kind of like start working with and playing around with. And I was also like shadowing those classes at the time. So I was teaching a lot of young kids and kind of like seeing how they react to fear on a really visceral level. You know, I think adults are like have this, they have all these like pieces that they've kind of like started to put into place where they can just be like, I'm not afraid. It's okay. They don't have that kind of like, emotional response that kids have where the kids are just like,
1: Oh my God. And their whole body yeah, this, shakes. and Their eyes right. are just
0: like pupils dilated. And they just like get in this space where you're like, Oh my. Okay. That's what freaked out looks like. Kind of <laughs> yeah. Right. It's like a textbook <laughs> definition. And I think those were the kind of two merging points for me was like having a class where I saw some kids we were just working on basic cats. They climb up on a vault box. That's about this high. Yeah. Four feet. Right? Yeah. Not very high. And then they jump to the wall with a, a metal bar. Yeah. They can totally grip it. And to me, it's like, it's up to my waist. And yeah. to them, it's like just this chasm for them. Right. Um, and I think those were kind of the two merging points was seeing kids kind of had the visceral reaction and then seeing myself at height having the same kind of reaction and then being able to like develop those tools and put them into place to teach kids and teach adults to at the same time. Because mm-hmm. I have taught a class with Parkour Visions that was mainly focused. It was called the Power Program. And that program was, it was focused around jumping and like climate movements, but also like fear challenges. So I had a couple of days where I kind of broke down some fear challenges that I had done that I know were like possible or within the realm of possibility. It was like, you know, six of your feet measured out, yeah, jump can, on the ground and that works. And, but on the other side, there's just a big drop. <laughs> right.
1: right. Plus this and this and that.
0: Yeah. Can I do that?
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: I think those were like the two turning points is being able to have like teaching kids going through the apprentice program mm. and kind of just really seeing the value in, in and relationship you can build with fear
1: challenges and kind of like the self understanding that comes from them. All right. I love to ask people to tell me stories. And most people, when I say, is there a story you want to share? They go, dude, give me some context. So I'll just give you some context. I'm wondering what's the most ridiculously grueling challenge you've ever conquered? And I'm not going to try and play a one-up game, one-up and of game. I'm just like, what's the most ridiculous physiologically grueling thing you have ever done, success or fail? I have one success and then I'll think about a fail.
0: <laughs> Cause I think it's good to like, yeah. to talk about failure and success. I think that often people have this like illusion that people are, some people at different levels are immortal. They have these different powers that no one else has, which yeah. is, I think is totally inaccurate and false. Like, I would agree with you. <laughs> One challenge that I like overcame that was really difficult. There's this descent that's in Seattle Pacific University. It's like over in Fremont. It's These big blue rails that are like this big around. You can like barely uh, fit your like eighteen
1: them. inches in diameter. So you have to like a forearm. Yeah, it's it's disgusting, and
0: but <laughs> let me guess—they're guess, dirty and dusty too. Yes, they're very <laughs> like at the very end. My arms were just like caked in blue my, paint. Uh, oh. But yeah, a a friend of mine saw the challenge. He was just like on this little like nighttime adventure. He had like gotten kind of buzzed and was walking around and (laughs) he was like, Oh, that looks like something Brian might do. And then he like sent me this like grainy black photo. photo. And I was just like, totally, I was like, what, what is that? So I just Google mapped it. And mind you, Google map is amazing for finding challenges. Oh my God. How did
1: we ever do anything before street view? (laughs) Yeah.
0: And, um, I like went and I just kind of like looked at it. I was doing a little bit of recon and I was like, that looks like it's totally impossible. There's no way that that's doable <laughs> at all. a joint person would
1: think <laughs> that I could do that. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and then we had like a Friday Jumps. Like I'm sure maybe you're familiar with Friday Jumps and the Seattle Jumps community. And they, we were like, oh, let's just have a, a session here at Seattle Pacific University. And I was like, oh, awesome. Yeah, let's do that.
1: Completely and it was, independently of you having looked at it.
0: Yeah, completely independent. Oh, and then... Oh, oh we were training, there was labor day. So it was like totally dead. There was nobody at the campus. And I was like, Oh, I think that challenge is actually possible. And I like climbed up, did the first level. And I was like, Oh my God, it's totally, it's totally possible. And then just kind of like reverse engineered it in one session. It went all the way from the top to the bottom or the bottom to the top. And then, um, yeah, it was just gross. Cause you have to like, you're basically hanging in cat position on this like 18 inch rail. You have to like kick back drop and there's no catch. You just land in a precision against the wall. So you're kind of like, squished against the face of the wall oh, Right, and then wow. you have to squat down and bring your arms around it. And since it's so big, every time you grab it, it feels like your arms are starting to just like slip off, slide right around. Yeah. Yeah. And that was like the scariest one that I've done so far, but a failure challenge.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Cause it's kind of tricky because some of the challenges you're playing with, there's only one failure mode and you you work very hard that that's not the mode that you ever experience. but yeah, What's, uh, we can make it maybe a little easier to help you find something. What's the longest like durational physicality of thing that you've ever done. I do you even do that type of like, you know, oh, I reverse QM up the garage park deck, Helix 13, like that kind of crazy stuff. Or do you do that type of crazy stuff?
0: I used to do a lot when I first started training actually, but I have done that. We've done some conditioning, conditioning, conditioning sessions <laughs> with the Seattle jumps community. They do like a Tuesday conditioning session and we've done some like grueling, gross QM challenges Like, we did an endurance challenge where, like, at the university, there's this, like, I think it's six levels. And we just, the challenge was, you do this, like, little climb. There's these little, kind of almost like a descent trainer, and you can just climb all the way down the Mm -hmm. six levels. And then from that, you jog through this hallway. And then you have to, like, climb through the staircase doing an ascent up. And then you jog to this rail and you have to balance for like a minute. And we did it. It was like a full hour of just this circuit circuits. Yeah. And I think we, at the very beginning, everyone had to say the number that they were going to accomplish. And everybody was like, we're going to do, you know, like 10, 15, 20, whatever. And anyone number that no one else, the other people didn't finish. We had to, finish for everyone else to make up to make up. Yeah. And that was a pretty grueling challenge. It wasn't necessarily like mentally challenging, but it was like physically, I felt completely exhausted the day after
1: any challenges you've ever said no to, like, you know, not like ridiculous, like that's inconceivable, but challenges that maybe you could have taken apart, but that you just weren't willing to allocate the time and effort to solving. Yeah.
0: There was a video project that I was going to do with some people in Portland that was like kind of breaking the process behind a bunch of different descents. And I just had, I like, I really believe in intuition or like the concept of intuition. Cause I wouldn't necessarily define it. But if I like feel something kind of like in the back of my mind, just being like, no, you shouldn't do that thing. Or... And this is one of those times where that kind of like came up for me. And hmm. um, like planned a weekend out and was like, okay, at this month, like it was a month away. It was like one weekend I was going to go down to Portland and do these challenges. And I just had this like burning message just like in the back of my mind, just being like, you shouldn't go there. It doesn't seem like a good idea. You shouldn't go there. It doesn't seem like a good idea. And then like two days beforehand, I was like, it doesn't seem right. Yeah. you have awesome. Yeah. But that's, that's definitely one of those times where I've been like, okay, I'm not going to do that kind of challenge or I'm not going to try and work on this video project or, and there's definitely been times where I've, I've like, haven't physically done a challenge. Like, there's a challenge at UW that's like, you hang in cat position, you do this like drop pre over like a, it's like a two or two and a half story drop, and you have to pre a windowsill and then immediately turn, jump to a rail in precision, and then jump into a cat and then jump the rest of the way down. And I like, did all this visualization drill, these visualization drills. I was like, trying to get my mind and my body prepped, but didn't physically do it. And I've had a lot of success doing that. And this challenge, I just like showed up the day of and was like, I'm going to do this challenge. I really got it. I feel confident about it. And then the challenge was just like, nope, not for you today. And that's been like pretty frustrating. I've had that at times, but it's, it's part of the process of like training and pushing yourself and like understanding what's happening here internally in your head and in your heart, not like outside externally, you know? And I think that like, I see that with like a lot of, younger generation of practitioners cuz I don't like necessarily consider myself an athlete like I train parkour but I'm like interested in the practical applications of what parkour means for me but I'm not necessarily like I've done a few competitions they've been like exciting and they like push me but I just don't know if that's like I don't like necessarily want that from parkour I'm like not not really excited about the competitive elements behind it I think that it like Brings up really nasty things for people's ego and like the weird kind of external motivation people get from it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but I do think like competition has this like setting where you can like be given a challenge that you know you're you don't necessarily know you're ready for, where you're like, okay, I guess I'm capable of doing that. And then you do it and you're like, oh crap, like there is, I maybe I put this
1: like mm. mental threshold on myself. So you mentioned taking things away from parkour or getting in the sense of getting something from parkour and but the, you mentioned it in your, at the end there, as you were talking, and I don't think it was a key point that you were making, but it was something that you said, which makes me wonder if I ask you intentionally, are there things that you can really enumerate or specify about what you want out of parkour? And I mean, there are, lots of examples we can all think of. And I'm just wondering if, do you think of parkour as something which is giving me this, this, and this, or is it the place that you've gotten, for example, so much from that, you know, if you go to the well, you're going to get something from it. I think that everyone gets something different from
0: parkour, (laughs) like vastly different. And it fulfills different needs for people. Right. I think that the things that I said prior around like awareness and like being present and articulating what's happening inside of you, It's something that's like really valuable to me and I want to like give to people. That's like my wellspring of joy or something. Mm -hmm. But I think that like parkour is like progressed in a way that's become so complex about like the ways you can go about doing something like the reasons you do it, why you want to do it. And I think some people's takeaway is like, which I think is really powerful tool is, is enduring or being more resilient through challenges like old school challenges where you're like, I'm going to do QM like for a mile, you know, and everyone laughs at that. and Everyone's like, yeah, it's, it's a big joke, but it's like, it's real. <laughs> yeah.
1: <that. laughs> and uh, I have to, you know, it's like, yeah. And, but it, and it's, uh, I almost, I, I'm not going to tell the story because people should be able to know what it is by now, but uh, there's something in that. And the people that I've done that I did that specific challenge with, I, I have a view of them, which no one else has, except we people over there. I've seen a side of those people. You know, there's, there's just something about the physical challenges. I didn't mean to derail your train of thought, but yeah.
0: I mean, I think it's an important tool. It's like parkour has a subset of tools that you can use and you can get access to that you wouldn't get in every area of your, or other areas of your life, right? right. Like in your job or maybe your coffee your, drinking. Yeah. Your coffee <laughs> 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 um, but yeah, I think that like part of it is about being more resilient and having the like ability to endure challenges. And then there's like the mental piece that I was talking about earlier that I like that's like kind of my home or like my habitat. Yeah. But I also like the resilience side of it because it shows people that they can like push through things and have a different mindset about who they are and what, what they want to be doing. Which I think goes to thinking and talking about like having a mindset that's like fixed. So being in one place and thinking you're, you have this belief about yourself and right. you are X thing and then you have the ability to adapt and grow. and I think that's the one thing that's really beautiful about parkour is that it has all these different pieces and key moments where you can kind of identify what's happening and how you can relate to it and like especially if you're keeping a journal, which is something that like both Brandy and I who are co-teaching the teens program really try to give to the students is making sure that they're journaling, their training journaling their process and like journaling their journey basically because if you're not aware of it and you're not analyzing what's happening in the in the moment you kind of just like you lose all those really important tidbits
1: i just had this i had this feeling that you want to ask me something like I uh, there's just this little lingering <laughs> question in my mind about like i feel like brian is waiting to like there's another layer here that that i haven't seen beyond yet where brian's going to start being i was going to say way more but not way more but like Brian's going to start wanting to take me apart because you, you have a, why do I say that? I say that because every quote, basically all that, all that I can remember, every question I've asked you has sort of been like your responses have been, well, and then I get a really considered insightful, experienced response. And I'm, I'm wondering are you aware of how unique that is? Like that's not something, well, based on that, but I'm going to say that's a no or or, you're, or a faux humble. I don't think that's a faux humble. That perspective, I guess, is probably a good word. It always bothers me when I can't find just the right word. Uh, but that perspective is, I'm going to say unique. And I'm just wondering if you're aware of how unique that perspective is. I'm
0: not. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, like 100% honest, I'm not.
1: Well, maybe you should be more aware of how unique your perspective is or maybe how unique your I'm going to stick with unique your perspective is but also how unique your powers of observation are there are I mean and sometimes I have trouble because I interview not a lot of people but I interview a lot of people And they all happen to be really exceptional human beings. So I'm like, yeah, everybody's exceptional. (laughs) But I'm I'm like cherry picking. So I have to keep reminding myself that like this is not just some Brian, and and not that Brian Riggins by name is this famous scion of parkour. But the things that you've done, uh, not here and there, the things you've done out there, and the things that you've accomplished, and then the things that you're discussing here are like way beyond what the average person. That even in parkour, the average person talks about or thinks about, let alone would be able to discuss, like, it's one thing to go in your head, yes, I see what's going on. It's a whole other thing to, like, say to somebody that you don't know that, well, yes, here's what's going on. And then to do it on demand in front of a microphone, like, with a three-second pause. That That's exceptional. So I've already said once, I'm going to say it again, that I've been driving, and, and I guess that's my job, of course, but I've been driving and asking questions, and, and in some cases pushing you to dig deeper into things, but I always want to make sure that the guests have plenty of space to like mention things that we haven't covered. So if there's anything that you're thinking about that you want to talk about or maybe shine some daylight on, um, you're more than welcome to bring up anything. So I'm working on
0: just a small project. I'm kind of like beta testing with some friends right now. I've been like currently really inspired by climbing or just, just general climbing, like bouldering. Mm. And there's this, journal that this person has made that's called the process journal. And I'm trying to think of like a way to kind of create a journal that's similar to this, but more with the intention of pushing it towards a parkour audience. And the idea behind the projects is you basically have like a three to four month period that you kind of break down different projects and you use like a system of questions that are about awareness, about intention, about like your narratives, about like how you're training and why you're training. And this book would kind of be like that or I guess it would be a journal, be like a paperback journal. And that would be kind of like a way for maybe people who are more interested in like uncovering challenges that are difficult for them or like accomplishing them or, yeah, just like using that as kind of a springboard for people to be like, okay, I, I see what I'm capable of. I need that next step and this would be potentially that next step. And it would kind of have like a month spreadsheet, a day spreadsheet and a week spreadsheet as a way to break those challenges down and also have some like, exercises and book recommendations and things like that. Just like, here's my brain in this journal. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Sounds like an excellent project. As long as you keep a copy of the brain for yourself. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> all right. Well, let's, let's go off on a little tour of books um, okay. because I think before we were recording, you and I were just, if I don't, not as in itself, just geeking out over books. And there are a bunch of ways to go into books. So one is stranded on a desert Island. You can take one book, which is it. This is so (laughs) hard. There's this
0: book by... So I took a... It was like a three-quarter program Mm -hmm. called Poet Philosopher. And it was all about the space between poetry and philosophy and how they kind of intersect or meet. Or they call it The Threshold. And there's this book by Maurice Blanchot. I can't remember the title off the top of my head, which is crazy. Describe it. It'll come back to you. Oh, my God. Basically, it's... Or, or tell me what you were going to say. I don't want to describe the book. But. The book itself is comprised of like different texts that are about like these weird spaces, kind of like what you're talking about between tension. Mm-hmm. And in the, one of his other books, there's actually two people seated in a room. They're not having a conversation verbally. It's like almost a telepathic conversation. And there's like this weird tension between the two characters the whole time. And that book in, in and of itself is uh, this book, the other book that Maurice Blanc's Show wrote is similar to that, but it's all about like Nietzsche and Heidegger and all these different authors and how they just, it's, it's been so long since I've read it, but that would be the one book that I would bring to a desert island if I could read I it. I remember the name. Um, <sighs> oh my God, what is it called?
1: Is it right? It's a pink cover. If that's I'm, all I remember. If only we had the internet with the- <laughs> I'm not going to pull out my phone. No, 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 no. She's, that's what she's doing. All right, so that's when we'll find the title. That's, that's the, one book, but that's one book that you'd want to take if you were stranded on a desert island. If you could, and I have like a whole bunch of book questions that just make it easy for us to pick this apart. <laughs> What's <laughs> one book that you would give? And forget language problems or reading. What's one book that you would give every person on the planet to read?
0: Momo. Have
1: you ever read that book? Mm, I don't think so. It's this magical
0: realism book about these um, people in gray suits who steal time. They like take time away from people, and there's like this it's like a dream world where these kids are kind of like trying to fight these time thieves who are stealing time away from them. Mm. And it's all about like play and adventure. And I think that's like a really cool, I mean, I think it just kind of like outlines why I like parkour. Mm. <laughs> it's about exploring things and also like having fun and playing in space that isn't otherwise seen as that. So I think that's one book that I would give to everybody. It's, mm. it's written in Spanish originally. I can't remember the author off the top of my head, um, but it's called
1: Momo. Do you ever not finish a book? Yes. Okay. I I get so frustrated by it. (laughs) I mean like intentionally I put the book down. Oh, okay, Um, yeah. uh, And you you do that last last book that you intentionally put down because you didn't want to finish it?
0: Uh, What was the last book? I think it was...
1: So in the other book that I was explaining before,
0: The Rock Warrior's Way, there's these... Series of books written by Carlos Castaneda that are about intention and awareness, and it's kind of like magical realism, and it's kind of it's a weird. He's a weird author, (laughs) a little woo woo, right? Yeah, it's a little woo woo. And I was I was reading it, and I was kind of like, okay, I can get into it, and like put it down for a month, and then picked it back up, and then I was reading it for a little bit, and I just like it was caught in this tension between like being like, do I want to read this? Do I want to finish this? And I just was like, I'm gonna set it down because it just doesn't feel like it's the time, or. I wasn't really invested in it, I, mm. I would say, but
1: just it's interesting to see what people put down. Just yeah, the uh, I'm going to assume since you're a book addict, the book you have given away most often. The book that I've given away the most often. Oh my gosh,
0: <laughs> <laughs> the one book that I've given away the most often is I'm, I'm like really into philosophy, and there's this book by Michel Foucault called The History of Sexuality, the first volume is one book that I've given away to a lot of people because it talks about the concept of biopower, which I think is really interesting and is like,
1: yeah, that's the one book that I've given away the most. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just point out that you're claiming these are hard, but you've like every single one, you're like a specific book for every answer so far on this and this and this and <laughs> Book on the to-read pile that you want to that's like the one that's like, I got to get to this one. It's not the one you're currently reading, but it's like, I have to get to this book on my pile. There's so many on that bio. <laughs> yeah, that's why I want to know, what's the one that you keep like, why haven't I started this book yet? Uh,
0: so there's, well, there's there's two books. One is a letter, it's a, a collection of letters uh, written from, it's correspondence between Natalia Cavino, who wrote Invisible Cities, The Baron in the Trees, and If on a Winter's Night, A Traveler. It's like kind of magical realism fiction. And it's just like letters to his different friends and... All these correspondence between people about, like, you,
1: you I know, don't know. <laughs> I have the same book on my to read pile, <laughs> really. <laughs> I haven't read it yet. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm gonna regret doing this. Have you ever because if you if you haven't heard of this website, I'm just gonna apologize up front. Have you ever heard of Brain Pickings? No, never. I'm sorry. So, go to Brain Pickings, it's just B R A I N P I C K I N G S. It's run by Mariva, Maria Popova, P O P O V A. I'm just going to apologize because it's going to eat your life. Um, Maria is a voracious reader, and she creates... uh, It's just a blog where she puts up her thoughts about a book, and that book is one that she... You know, wrote up about and does like excerpts and quotes and it's just her brain pickings. And, but she's done so many thousands of books that she's read now that she would be like, oh, this reminds me of and like a book of a different genre, three centuries different than she just draws. Yeah, you're, you're making this space. It's everything that you hope it's going to be. Cool. And she's been publishing for... I'm going to say 12 years she's been publishing like seven, eight, nine, ten 10 posts per week. There are thousands of them. So just take a book you like search on brain pickings. I don't get any money from brain pickings, so search on brain pickings. And <laughs> this is not like a, what do they call it? A reseller program. Um, but it's Endorse a really me. good place. So if you're just, if you're listening and you're into books, um, brain pickings, I can't recommend it highly enough. Um, it's one of the many websites that I actually pay to support and, uh, sometimes I disagree with her like personal philosophies and things, but just her eye for. Uh, you, you actually remind me of, like, you have an eye for. You know, I'm lobbing random topics at you. And even while we were talking about questions and answers, you, you're pulling these literary threads out. And that's. But she's just taken. She's gone all in on it. That's all she does is that. Yeah, I, I'm going to apologize because you're going to spend a lot of time I'm excited and you're going to need new bookshelves. Let's see. So we do some more books. I did. Um, how about. <laughs> biggest book that you have in your possession currently like by gross tonnage A Thousand Plateaus by Deleuze and Qatari okay, this is it's turning, like this, this big this, this is turning into a challenge fest <laughs> now if you're going to keep hitting him out of the park like that um, smallest book by gross tonnage that you have in your possession oh my gosh smallest book and if it's multiple <laughs> volumes that's one book it's a Samuel Beckett novel but I can't remember which one Not Waiting for Godot That is is
0: Beckett. Yeah. Is that Beckett? Yeah. That's Beckett. Waiting for... It's the one about... It's like a play about people who are... It's like a a family. There's a father who has no limbs, and then maybe the mother lives in a trash can. (laughs) It's really weird. It's a really weird play. (laughs) No, (laughs) I think that's it. The I don't know. The thought
1: that just went through yeah. my head. I'm not laughing at you. What I'm laughing at is we do this thing on Instagram called Trivia Tuesday. <laughs> I mean, that That's a trivia question going somewhere to happen. <laughs> I think that's maybe the content of the play. I can't remember. <laughs> um, Okay. So a Samuel Beckett book. Oh, man. I, I, I love it. Wow. Uh, and I don't know. The, the slimmest volume that I think I have might that- be the Tao of Pooh might be one of the smallest books that I have Endgame is the play oh, I don't think I read that one it's weird it's really in case people are wondering how did he do that is the person next to us with a computer looked at him <laughs> and like, held their computer out and he's like yes that's it and it is Beckett okay cool <laughs> I don't. Know, I feel like just keep doing. But so, ask me book questions because honestly, I think you're like I'm. I'm. I'm like bowing down. I'm not worried that your book like the whoa. I think you're way beyond me in books. But if you want to turn the book, you're, you, you said you have a bunch of engineering books though. <laughs> well, yeah, but I, I did. Um, I I always make the joke. I used to read a ton of fiction. And everything against that fiction is great, but at one point I basically yeah. looked at how, like you know, average expected lifespan, and I went, um, "I got a whole bunch of nonfiction I want to read," so I've switched over to like nonfiction crack and biographies and stuff, and I gave away That's all cool. my massive collection of science fiction. But yeah, what's your three favorite science fiction novels? <sighs> three science fiction novels, I would say, our top three, yeah. Nemesis. Nemesis. Uh, is that? Clark? Oh my God, I can't remember. I think that's Arthur C. Clark's nemesis. Oh, it's got to be one of the Rama, one of the Rama series. Maybe not the like the first one is just like blows your mind, but probably like the the, the Garden of Rama where they. Anyway, so one of the Rama novels, and and for people who don't realize it's R A M A. It's not the noodle. It's not Rama. <laughs> <laughs> right, but like people could confuse that if you don't know what we're talking about. I'm not going to say Ender's Game although you know I'm I'm that kind of Kato should say Ender's Game but it's not Ender's Game science fiction novels. Um, oh my god there are so many. I love it. 3 that's 2. I'm I'm going to say The Martian Chronicles by by Brainslip. Brad, Bradbury? Is that who that is? Sorry. I guess we need more coffee. And I'm going to say that one, not because it's the greatest science fiction I think I've ever read, but it's one of the things that I got. I was like 40 and then I went, you know, I have never read all of the, like I've never read it all the way through. And I think I saw the they did a movie version of it, which was, I, I thought like, have you seen the movie? No. Don't ever see the movie. So I watched the movie and I was like, whoa, and then I went, I just like, I could afford a $20 book. I bought the book and I just like power read it on a two day thing. So I really, I think the reason I'm, that I like that one. I'm picking it as my third is it was like a teleport device. I mean, I was teleported back to my teenage bedroom as a kid. Cause uh, I didn't grow up in the sticks. I grew up in Eastern Pennsylvania and it was only 20 minutes to anything like, you know, so if I went to a bookstore, it was a big deal, no internet anywhere in sight. And I would go to the bookstore, and just run around like a, you know, teenage kid on ADD and I did, i that was like a thing like you were just like a bog a thing I had a good story about the gunslinger series i I almost had the gunslinger series for a similar story, but when I read this book you know as a full on adult, I was just like totally drawn back to like i could you know like the house the, the that's like I'm there again as a kid, and that part of it is the i was gonna to say ridiculousness, but I don't mean the derogatory the ridiculousness of the whole storyline, but how yeah. How young it made me feel, I guess would be way to put it. So that, that would be my three nemesis: one of the Rama and Martian Chronicles. Um, the story that I was going to tell, it, it say, "Hey Craig, you have a good story about books." <laughs> <laughs> so you wanted, I wanted you to say it, but all right. So uh, a good story about books. I, as a young you know, youngling, which is a Star Wars reference, I went to the bookstore and stumbled over the first of Stephen King's Gunslinger series. Wow. You know, like 1980-something or other. And took the book home. You know, my mom and dad used to like, oh, I'm buying books, all the books you want. And powered through it. And then like begged, can we go back to the bookstore? And eventually, like weeks later, I go back to the bookstore. And I get the next one. And I get the third one. <laughs> and... I get to—I I remember quickly. There are six of them. I get to the third one, or like there's eight of them, and I got to the fourth one, and it ends on a cl- like a, cl- a literal cliffhanger with like a train going up the other. And I went back to the bookstore, and I and I'm like I'm on the bookshelf, and it's was like one, two, three. <laughs> and oh You know where this is going, right? I go to the clerk and the little, little Craig, like excuse me, ma'am, where's the rest? I mean, she looked at me like I was the stupidest human ever walked the face of the earth, and she goes like there aren't any more. And I'm like, but it ends on a cliffhanger, and she's going, yeah, but that's all he wrote, you know, and like. He never, at this point, he never finished it. And we're not sure if he's ever going to finish it. I'm like, lady, that's not funny. Seriously, where's the next time? So then I waited. It's like, I don't know, it took him like 20 years or something until he finished the series. So that was another situation where being able to go and get the book was just like, wow. And then I actually I actually reread them from the front and read through. And, um, so I was thinking of saying, I think it's the fifth of the Guns- Gunslinger series as one of my favorite science fictions, but because of that story have a similar story about Pink Floyd's The Wall. You know the, al- the, the album? Okay, you do know the album. I, I do. The Ooh, album. Just checking. Um, <laughs> when, I was, when I was a kid, they invented CDs. And a friend of my dad's bought the CDs, and I, I didn't have a CD player. But his this guy was kind enough to record the entire first album of The Wall, both sides one and two, onto a cassette for me. So I had like a really good-sounding cassette because it wasn't off of a... A record, so this guy recorded it for me, and then I took it home and played it over and over and over. And for some reason, my dad didn't have the wall. Imagine my delight when, like, 12 years later, I go off to college and I discover <laughs> that there is another album. I never heard the third and fourth side of the wall for like 12 years. And of course, it, it, it ends with like the suicide attempt is at the end of the second side. So I had heard some of the songs, I comfortably know them, gets played on the radio, but I was it just never occurred to me to go find the song. So when I heard side three and four, it was this transcendental, and there were no drugs involved, this transcendental experience to hear that Pink Floyd had gotten back together and recorded an album just for me to hear the rest of the (laughs) wall. It was, yeah. Sorry. (laughs) The the way that I like to end, of course, is if you're expecting it, I can simply say, and of course, the final question, three words to describe your practice. The three words that I would describe
0: my practice are awareness, challenge-finding,
1: And composure. Terrific. Thank you very much, Brian. It was a tremendous pleasure to get to sit down and have a conversation about books and challenge and danger and training. Yeah, thanks. This was episode 79. As with every one of our episodes, you can just take the number of the episode and put it behind our domain name. So for more information, go to moversmindset.com slash 79. And I'll leave you with a final thought from George Bernard Shaw. Progress is impossible without change, and those who cannot change their minds cannot change anything. Thanks for listening.